Is Auckland Council making itself redundant? The paradox of retrenchment in the face of growth. Is Auckland Council making itself redundant? The paradox of retrenchment in the face of growth. Auckland Council, New Zealand's so called super city administration, has become known for at least four areas of failure in its short 10 years of existence Auckland's ports, which are losing business to Whangarei and Tauranga due to congestion, Auckland's transport, where light rail is the latest scheme to wind up in the too hard basket, Auckland light rail. Official image via Greater Auckland, 2018. Crown copyright reserved. Auckland's piped water supply, which loses twice as much from leaks as is drawn from the Waikato River and has had watering bans for months. Auckland's environmental water quality, in the form of unswimmable beaches and chemical spills. A fifth area of failure is now being added, in the form of redundancies in the planning and building sections of Auckland Council. Friends of mine. Planners and developers cannot build or work due to consent processing delays caused by Auckland Council staff layoffs. I myself had a land information memorandum altered in 24 hours before the latest round off cuts. But a similar application has now been sitting in a communal entry for three months because the person who handled the last one had been made redundant and there's nobody left who's up to speed. I've heard that the most experienced staff have been let go, perhaps because they command the highest salaries. It's time to question the approach of chief executives such as Jim Stabick and his predecessor Stephen Town, and their sub-chiefs in Auckland Transport, Ports of Auckland and Watercare, which all too often focuses on short-term savings and cuts. This isn't necessarily the fault of individuals. It's also due to the wider incentive culture of the public service today, which focuses on savings. It's also due to an older and more chronic weakness of New Zealand local government, in that those who want to put a stop to expenditure are always vocal in ratepayer circles. I was on the Auckland City Council from 1992 to 1995 with the Alliance team. But I now have fewer illusions about what local government can achieve by itself. In the 2019 mayoral contest, I voted for Wayne Young of the virtual homeless community. I figured that the best a candidate could do was raise the profile of an issue, at least. Auckland at full stretch the weaknesses of local government didn't matter that much when New Zealand was a nation of farmers and slow-growing towns. But it does matter now that Auckland has a population of more than 1.6 million. In the 40-odd years that our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, has been alive, New Zealand has gone from 3.1 million to 5.1 million. Over the same period Auckland went from 770,000 to more than 1.6 million. By 2050, Auckland's population may approach 2.5 million. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, at the swearing-in of T. He Executive Council, at Government House, Wellington, on November 6, 2020. New Zealand Government, Office of the Governor-General, CC by SA 4.0 via Wikimedia Commons. The title of a book published in 1977, Auckland at Full Stretch, now seems ironic. For today's Auckland is more than twice as stretched as the city was in 1977. And Auckland will be three times as stretched in 2050, it now seems. Pretty soon, central government is going to have to step into Auckland to help with the city's growing pains. As others have suggested, central government might have to pay Auckland local government a bonus to build more infrastructure and consent more dwellings and businesses. The centre might have to take over some of the council's regulatory functions through agencies like MB, as well. But if the New Zealand government is to step in like this, it will first have to address a similar failing of its own political culture. Which is, essentially, a culture of managing for the status quo and cutting costs in the here and now. An approach not too different to that of Auckland Council itself.
When Kiwis were doers the funny thing is that New Zealand wasn't always this paralytic in the face of growth and change. As far back as the 1950s, when Auckland only had a third of a million people and New Zealand itself only two million, all drastically outnumbered by sheep, the chief planner of New Zealand's Ministry of Works was urging us to think of the next million. In the late 1970s and early 1980s, Rob Muldoon's National Party government preached a philosophy of think big. And Norman Kirk's preceding Labour government responded to a housing shortage by ramping up construction to 34,400 new dwellings a year in 1975. After allowing for population growth, that's as if Ms. Ardern's flagship first-term Kiwi Build scheme had contributed to the production of nearly 60,000 homes a year by 2020. The older generation of Kirk and Muldoon knew how to get things done. After all, they'd been in the war, or lived through it at any rate. The great acceleration and yet life 40 years ago was slow-paced, compared to today. Overseas, people talk about something called the great acceleration. A great increase in all kinds of human activities and impacts in just the last few decades. For example, the fact that humanity has emitted more carbon dioxide since 1988 than in all the history of modern industrial society before the date. And every other aspect of life seems to have sped up as well. The revolt against the city and so, here's the paradox. It seems that, just as New Zealand embarked on its great acceleration, planning for growth went out of fashion. The older, World War II generation expected New Zealand to follow other countries in the sense of becoming more urban and more industrial. Rural New Zealand has only ever supported about half a million people directly. Since 1910 or thereabouts, every additional New Zealander has been an urban dweller. It followed that, even in the 1950s, the next million would be urbanites. Most politicians and officials also believed, in those days, that New Zealand's continuing urbanization had to be planned for in depth. The government would have to make plans for new industries that might not be profitable at first, for new housing schemes like those pushed through by Norman Kirk, and for new transport schemes like the electric rapid rail proposed for Greater Auckland by its charismatic city mayor, Dub Meyer Robinson. Proposed Auckland Rapid Rail at Middlemore, from facts about the public passenger transport system in Auckland, Auckland Regional Authority, 1967. Crown copyright reserved. But in the 1970s, the post-war vision of a more urban and industrialized future started to be seen as a threat to the Kiwi way of life. Ancient stalwarts of the soil like Kenneth Cumberland, presenter of the 1981 TVNC series Landmarks, teamed up with baby boomers to question the city-focused vision of national development. The revolt against the city was especially sharp when it came to Auckland, a city that was becoming the butt of resentment and jokes. The issue here was that New Zealand had traditionally had four main urban centers, namely, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, and Dunedin. But Auckland was now pulling well ahead of the other three, and this stoked resentment south of the Bombay Hills. The revolt against the city also helps to explain the rise of Rogernomics, the suite of free market economic reforms introduced said to New Zealand by the mid-1980s finance minister Roger Douglas and his supporters. Cover of a 1987 book by Roger Douglas, displayed for purposes of critical review according to the economist Simon Collins. The Roger Gnomes were skeptical of the value of new urban industries and saw the key to our future prosperity as lying, still, with rural industries that didn't need as much government support. Although their methods, including a massive shakeup of the public service and the planning laws, were revolutionary, the actual objective of the Roger Gnomes was quite traditional. Namely, to restore New Zealand to the condition of a big farm for England and other northern hemisphere consumers of our meat, milk, wool, timber, fish, wine venison, 
kiwi fruit, and also our scenery by way of the tourism and film industries. The city was now, once more, an afterthought. Population polemics many people also believed, in those days, that the post-World War II urban boom was grinding to a halt. They believed that the cities of the Western world were entering into what one UK-based expert termed an age of stagnation, the same opinions were held in New Zealand, if anything, even more strongly. On the nation's TV screens, Professor Cumberland predicted that, in the 21st century, the main thoroughfares of Auckland and Wellington might well be deserted canyons. He would have been surprised by the amount of traffic congestion in Auckland today. Until the 1980s, the planners had believed the 